This morning's scripture reading will be from Revelations chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. This will be page 1102 in your pew Bibles. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of the water life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Well, it's been a great joy to be here with you in this uh, uh, series. We began on Friday night. I appreciate so much the things that uh, so many did to get ready for that. And uh, we've had a good session and good attendance and, and a good studies in the book of Revelation. Uh, the book of Revelation is a wonderful book to study. Uh, while, as we've said in our earlier sessions, I believe it was directed to the seven churches of Asia and churches that time with a special meaning because... They were about to undergo terrible persecution, and this was a way of preparing them and giving them assurance that Christ was with them. It has great lessons for us today. And so, as we uh, uh, undertake to have the uh, lesson this morning about Revelation 21 and 22, uh, we'll be looking for those applications that we can uh, enjoy that will help us to be better in our Christian lives today. We uh, will do chapter 20 at the Bible school hour, so we're getting slightly out of order here, but uh, that will uh, all work out okay. So we're studying chapter 21 and 22. As chapter 20 closes, we see a scene of the judgment. I saw a great white throne and him that sat upon it and all the dead appeared before him and he divides them into two groups. The last verse of chapter 20 says that those whose names are not written in the book of life will go away into the lake of fire. But those whose names are written in the book of life, they go into the new Jerusalem. And so We're going to talk about that new Jerusalem in our lesson uh, at this time and to see what message God has for us, what message of hope he has for us uh, about going into that new Jerusalem. And so we begin with chapter 21 and 22. 
I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth are passed away. And he begins to talk about the, the ways in which this new Jerusalem can be described. He says, John says, I saw the new Jerusalem coming down out of head, heaven. So he can see it. And then he begins to describe what's there. He says that God will dwell with his people. Just imagine dwelling with God. And he says there'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. And he who overcomes will inherit all of this. But sinners, verse 7, will have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Now we want to get a good contrast between what happens to those who are righteous through the blood of Christ and those who are not saved by his blood. Imagine the terror of going into the lake of fire, pictured as a, a lake of melted sulfur and uh, abiding in a place like that of continual pain and suffering with no hope of ever getting out. That's one side. The other side is the picture of this new Jerusalem. And so here's a, a picture of what an artist thought this uh, looked like. Uh, shows that this uh, uh, beautiful city is uh, a perfect cube and uh, 1,200 miles on each side, 1,200 miles wide and deep and high. Uh, it has a red wall around it, 210 feet high. It has 12 gates of pearl. Each of those uh, gates has inscribed on it the name of one of the tribes of Israel. It has 12 foundations, 12 layers of foundation. And uh, each of those has the inscription of the name of one of the apostles on it. And it's a perfect cube, 1,500 miles on a side. There is no sun because God himself is the light. Uh, God and the Lamb are the light, and there is no night there. We have a lot of songs based on that, don't we? Uh, in the land of fatalist day. And there's no night there. And we, we sing lots of songs based on this description. <clears throat> there are, the streets are made of gold. The river of life flows from the throne of God. And on each side of that river are planted tree of life trees. Not just one tree, but tree of life trees. And they give a new fruit each month. His servants will serve him. And will see his face. Imagine having that kind of intimate relationship with God. And they will reign with him forever. Now those of you who haven't been here on Friday and Saturday won't understand this. But those who have been here will know what I'm talking about. That's what it says. What does it mean? So that's the way we work our way through the book of Revelation. Let's do it one more time, okay? Everybody hands like this. Everybody hands like this. Young and old, middle-aged. Now repeat after me. This is what it says. A little louder. This is what it says. A little louder. This is what it says. Okay. This is what it means. 
Okay. That's how the book of Revelation works. It's a book written in symbols. And so we have a symbol here, and we see that symbol, and through the symbol, we look down to what it means. That's how parables work. That's how figurative language in the Bible works. That's how the book of Revelation works. And so he has given us this description in, in uh, symbolic terms. Some have tried to figure out how many people could live in a space 1,500 miles wide, deep, and high. Well, that's the wrong way to look at this, you know. He's not talking about uh, a, a physical description in that sense. He's trying to create within us some understanding of what heaven will be like. If I had to summarize heaven in one word, that one word would be perfect. It is perfect. It is perfect in every way. And from this description, I think we can see that it is perfect in four ways that will be significant to us. First of all, this new Jerusalem, this place that God has prepared for us, will be a place of perfect fellowship. Perfect fellowship. We'll be there with people that we've loved. We'll be there with people of the Old and New Testaments that we've read about. We'll be there with God and Christ and the Holy Spirit. We'll be there with the redeemed of all ages. That'll be a wonderful fellowship, won't it? We'll have fellowship with God. We'll be there with those that we've loved who've gone on ahead of us. Will we know each other in heaven? I think so. David, when his little son died, said, He shall not come to me, but I shall go to him. Moses and Elijah appeared with Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. Hundreds of years after they were dead, they were still Moses and Elijah. Jesus made a point about life after death when he said that uh, when uh, God appeared to Moses in Mount Sinai, he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not I was. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're still alive in some sense. So there's life after death and we don't lose our identity. So yes, I'm looking forward to going to be with some people. In fact, the older I live, the greater proportion of the people I know are already on the other side. And so we begin to think about the joys of being reunited with our friends. It'll be a place of perfect fellowship. Another reason it's perfect fellowship is because of who will not be there. I mean, the folks who have lied and stolen and cheated and done bad stuff won't be there. And that'll make it a wonderful place of fellowship, won't it? We won't have to put up with that. So it is a place of perfect fellowship. And I'm sure you can think right now of people that you long to be with again. And that will be, uh, that's something we hope for, this perfect fellowship. Then it's a place of perfect provisions. Perfect provisions. <clears throat> we'll eat at the tree of life. We'll walk on streets of gold. We'll drink of the water of life. We'll have light from the glory of God. It's a place of perfect provisions. Everything you can imagine that you need, God is going to take care of. <clears throat> I don't know what we'll do all the time in heaven. I'm sure we'll spend a lot of time praising and 
expressing our love and appreciation for God and for Christ and the Holy Spirit. But the Bible doesn't tell us all of how we'll spend our time, but we will have all of our needs fully supplied. It's a place of perfect provisions, symbolized by saying to us, we'll walk on streets of gold and eat of the tree of life and drink from the water of life. So it's a place of perfect provisions. Then it's a place of perfect protection. Perfect protection. To those who were first receiving the book, this would have been especially helpful. After all, they were living at a time when they were very vulnerable. The next knock on the door might mean they'd be asked, are you a Christian? And if they say yes, they'll be carried off and mistreated, put in jail, uh, burned, alive at the stake, uh, never see their families again. That's what they were putting up with. And they were suffering uh, that kind of terrible persecution by the thousands and some say by the millions during the years between about uh, 90 and 300 A.D. And so this book was written to help them to endure that terrible persecution and for them to know that they were going to a place where they would never be bothered again, a place that has a great high wall around it, a place that is a perfect cube and thus impenetrable, uh, a place where a place where the gates are always open. You know, that's interesting, isn't it? Some of us are old enough to remember when we didn't lock our doors when we left the house. I was growing up, we never locked the doors. But now I not only lock them, I've got a high-class alarm system because my house has been robbed four times. So, uh, so I look forward to a place that has perfect protection where the gates are always open. But these people in the early centuries who were suffering such terrible indignities and persecution because they were Christians would have found this, I think, especially attractive. They're going to a place of perfect protection. Nothing will ever bother them anymore. And finally, it is a place of perfect joy. Perfect joy. There'll be no sadness, no sorrow, no sickness, no pain, no death, no suffering. It'll be a place of perfect joy. Everything will be good all the time. Now in this life we have good things some of the time. But we also have times of sorrow and disappointment and, and uh, separation, death and pain, disease, things of that sort. And so we, have, we don't have a place of perfect joy here, but we will over there. A place of perfect joy. <clears throat> There'll be no doctors in heaven. Oh, a good Christian doctor can go there, but he'll have to change his profession because he won't get, he won't, nobody will ever get sick. There'll be no undertakers in heaven. A good Christian undertaker can go there, but he won't get to practice burying people because nobody dies. There'll be no barbers in heaven because there'll be no parting there. Think on that a while. So anyway, it's a place of perfect joy. 
a place of perfect joy. And so we look forward to this place of perfection in every way, a place of perfect fellowship, a place of perfect provisions, perfect protection, perfect joy. Now I want you to contrast that with the lake of fire where there will be terrible things happening all the time, where it will be always painful, where there will be always suffering, where there will be always separation from God. Dante, when he pictured hell in his writings, said, abandon hope, all you who enter here. Abandon hope. Imagine you're living in that terrible kind of conditions and no hope of anything any better. Now, contrast that with the New Jerusalem. Called the New Jerusalem simply because Jerusalem was a special place of God's dwelling in the Old Testament. The temple was there and his presence was seen there. And so the New Jerusalem is an idea of saying, well, here's a new place that uh, will go and it is the dwelling of God. And so it's called the New Jerusalem. And so we see these two set in great contrast with each other. Well, who decides where you go? Do you have a preference? If you have your choice, which one would you choose? You know how you make that choice? You don't make that choice just by checking it on a list and saying, well, I believe I prefer to go to this one. You make that choice by becoming a Christian and living the life of a Christian. That's how you make that choice. And so I hope you're living the choice that will take you to heaven. Here is what Revelation 21 says about those who will not enter the city. But for the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars... They will not enter the city. Who does enter the new Jerusalem? Well, chapter 21, verse 7 says, He that overcomes. We talked about that word the other night. That word means, that is the Greek word Nike, overcome. means victor, the one who is a victor, the one who overcomes. The one who is victorious. We have to keep striving and trying. We don't get to heaven by just sitting there wishing for it. We get to heaven because we are overcomers. Not perfect, but we're trying. We keep on trying. You can't go to heaven without trying to go there. You have to be an overcomer. Chapter 21, verse 27, those in the Lamb's book of life. We'll talk at the Bible school hour more about what it means to be written in the Lamb's book of life because that's mentioned in chapter 20. But that is you're on his list of people who have accepted Jesus and repented of your sins and been baptized into Christ. And so he has written you in his book. And so those in the Lamb's book of life will go there. Chapter 22, verse 3, his servants will go there. Are you a servant of Christ? Are you serving him? Are you carrying out his wishes in your life? Are you serving other people? Are you spreading the gospel to others? 
Are you a servant of Christ? That's who will be there. Chapter 22, verse 14, those that wash their robes and make them white in the blood of the Lamb. They'll go there. That is, those who have accessed the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to die as uh, one who took our sins upon him. And in order for us to be in this place, we have to be forgiven of sins. And so we have to do what we uh, is asked of us to accept Christ and have our sins taken away. And that's how we have access to the city. Chapter 22, verse 17, he that is thirsty, let him come. Do you thirst for heaven? I mean, do you really thirst for it? Do you really long for it? Do you really want to be in heaven someday? Now, I know it's natural for us to hang on to life here while we can. But do you really long to be in heaven? Those who long for it, those who thirst for it, will live this kind of faithful life to get them there. Chapter 22, verse 17, whosoever will, let him come. It's open to everybody who wants to come. Doesn't matter what your educational level is. Doesn't matter how much finances, financial uh, money you've got. Doesn't matter if uh, you're rich or poor. Doesn't matter if you're, uh, what your race is, white or black or whatever. It doesn't matter what your uh, occupation has been. It doesn't matter what country you're from. Whosoever will, let him come. It's open for everybody. And so the great message of the book of Revelation is this. Christ and those on his side will be winners. Satan and those on his side will lose. And the question comes then, whose side do you own? If you're on the side of Christ, living in his way, you're going to be a winner and go to the New Jerusalem. If you've not served the Lord faithfully, you've not been a Christian, you've not been one who has accepted the blood of Jesus to cleanse your sins, then you'll be on Satan's side and you'll be a loser in that final separation. So we have to ask the question, whose side are you on right now? Be honest. It won't pay you to, be, to try to fool yourself, will it? There's no greater question that you can ask. Whose side am I on? Well, let me close <clears throat> with this story. Uh, on January the 5th, 1988, Dr. James Dobson, whom you may have heard about on the radio or read his books about parenting. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with everything he says, but he's has a lot of good things to say about family life. He was then broadcasting from California. And he asked a man to come out and be on his radio broadcast, whose name was Pete Maravich. Anybody remember Pete Maravich? Great basketball player, played at LSU in his collegiate career, scored the most points of anybody that's ever played in collegiate uh, career. He had played 10 years in professional uh, basketball, especially with the Utah Jazz. Well, he had recently become a Christian, as Dr. Dobson saw it, and he had changed his life in lots of ways. And so uh, he had 
So Dr. Dobson asked him to come out and be on his radio program. Well, while they were out there getting ready to do the broadcast and everything, they decided they'd go out and play a little basketball. Wouldn't that be fun to go play basketball with Pete Maravich? So they went out and played a little basketball, and, and uh, they were taking a little break, and uh, Pete and Dr. Dobson were standing at the three-point line, taking some shots, and suddenly Pete Maravich just keeled over backwards. Dr. Dobson went to try to help him, and they called for the paramedics, and Pete Maravich died in Dr. Dobson's arms. 40 years old, one of America's premier athletes, dead, heart attack. Well, you can imagine that was a, a very unusual experience for Dr. Dobson. And he and his family talked about it a lot. And they said, you know, what really matters is not how long you live. What matters is whether or not you go to heaven when you die. That's the important thing. And so as a family... They said, we want to commit ourselves as a family to be with each other in heaven. That's our goal as a family. And the way they said that to each other was to say, hold out their hands like this and say, be there. Be there. That meant, I want to be with you in heaven. Well, it wasn't long until Dr. Dobson himself had a heart attack. And he was in the uh, intensive care and had a tube down his throat. He couldn't speak. He was conscious. His son, about 20 years old, came in to see him. How do you suppose they communicated? What did they say to each other? Father to son, I sure hope you get well, but if you don't, I want to see you in heaven. Son to father, dad, I hope you get well, but if you don't, I want to see you in heaven. Now that's become something that's very important in my family. I've told that story to all my children and all my grandchildren. I haven't told it to many of my great-grandchildren yet because the oldest one is just one, yeah. But uh, uh, that's, that's become our family motto is be there. My wife makes little cross-stitch plaques to, for all our children and our grandchildren when they get married and they put it up in their house says be there. Uh, I carry a uh, be there on my keychain. My children gave me a license tag for my car. It says be there. For our 50th wedding anniversary, our children gave us a big be there to put up in our house, a golden be there. My favorite picture is my 10 grandchildren giving me be there. That's really what the book of Revelation is about, isn't it? People are going to be there. The promise that these persecuted people would have a chance to go to a better place, to be there in heaven. Now, I want to be in heaven with all of you. I'm going to hold out my hand to you and say, be there. And I want you to hold out your hand and say, be there. Good and strong now. Back to me. All right. Here we go. Be there. there. Do it again. Be there. there. Turn to the people on each side of you and say, be there. Be there. Be there. there." Now, when I leave, you're going to say, remember that crazy preacher that came there and did this and this? Well, okay. If that's what you're remembering that, that's okay. That'll be all right. But don't forget, the book of Revelation is to help us to want to be there. And I hope you have a clear sense in your heart right now that you're on the way to be there in heaven. We're going to sing a song of invitation if there's something that you need to do. 
to be sure that you're going to be there, then you ought to do it this morning. If you need to come and be baptized into Christ, don't wait on that. If you know that's what you need to do, come and do that today so you're sure you're on the road to be there. If you are one who has been a Christian but you've fallen away and your life is not an overcoming life, your life is not one that's going to put you on the road to be there, then you need to come and let us help you make some changes today. Whatever state in life you're in, you need to leave this building convinced that you're on the road to heaven. And as we sing this song, I hope you'll ask that penetrating question of yourself, am I really on the road to heaven? And if you're not, then do what it takes to be there. Will you stand and sing?